And we are live. Hey guys, welcome back uh, to Dallas Geek. As always, I'm Brad, that's Mike, and thank you for joining us on this, uh, we'll say lovely, uh, Wednesday afternoon. How you doing, Mike? Yes. Always a pleasure to see your enthusiasm. That is, uh, <laughs> that that is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, you said you said you said lovely Wednesday afternoon, and I just thought, oh, how can I mail this in as hard as possible? That's what she said. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's it's after five. I guess we can do jokes like that. Uh, with that, uh, guys. Welcome back to Dallas Geek, or if this is your first time joining us, thank you. I uh, don't know how you found us, but we are always glad you did. Uh, do not forget, uh, as always, uh, if this is your first time watching, don't forget to go and like us over, uh, like and follow over on Facebook, and of course, hit the little subscribe button uh, down on YouTube. Uh, there should be something uh, over on the corner of the screen. Where the hell did right that come from? Uh, magic. <laughs> Apparently. And, yeah. and of course, uh, definitely don't forget to like the video. Uh, we That'll help us out with the uh, the algorithms and appease the uh, Facebook and YouTube slash Google overlords. Um, so, always wonderful. And of course... They're definitely overlords, that's for sure. Yeah, and of course, if you like our stuff but don't always have time for the videos, do not forget that you can always check out the audio of our um, interviews and live streams over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher, because of course you can. So, now that the... Uh, necessary shilling is done um let's jump on into it mike what are we talking about today just real quick brad before we get into it you ever just look in the mirror and just think yes you are beautiful i swear if you're fishing for some like <laughs> deeply needed compliment today uh mike you're a just, lovely lovely man and don't you ever forget that I just, I keep looking down and seeing myself in the camera, and I just, well, I, I keep getting lost in my own eyes. Okay, Sisyphus, uh, eyes up here, eyes up here. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so today, we are talking about uh, something that we like to always do. We're making a list. Yeah, we because, are. Because news is really slow right now in the world. Well, at least yeah. in our world. Yeah, and we got to be able to keep that, uh, that, that new segment of Does It Still Hold Up fresh? Because, you know, yes. it'll easily wear out its welcome if we don't. Uh, by the way, yeah, uh, over on Facebook, we do we have, real fast, the, uh, Cody sorry. and Franco uh, jumping in to say hi. Um, Hello. So, and uh, Franco, <laughs> how he found us uh, at a hotel, at a con, probably tipsy, and on his face, probably his Batgirl. Uh, what, Not Batgirl, but actually hot he... pants were involved, so uh, yeah. still fair. <laughs> so is he implying that he was tipsy or that we were tipsy? Because I, it, I look, feel like it if, could be. If all it was at a above. con at a, I was about to say if it was at a con at a hotel, I was at least drunk. 
Um. Uh, uh, so yes. Uh, Sorry, so, too much information. Meh. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's almost assumed for you at conventions, but I mean, we still keep it professional. So, I'm sorry, anyway, what's that? um, oh, and hmm? your mother's on. Hi. Oh Hello, mother. Um, uh, but yes, but uh, no, so, so to try to get this today to try to get this back on the rails. Um, we're making a list of what we deem are five incredibly underrated sci-fi movies. Yes. Of all um, time. You say of all time, but... I mean, I, I do say yeah. of all time, but to be fair, only two of our top five are pre-2000s. So, can't really say that uh, we, we are uh, stretching that far, but we're at least staying in our wheelhouse. Um, I mean, in our defense, we are millennials. True. Uh, very true. However, I will say, uh, I fought for uh, Metropolis to be on this list, because while mm -hmm. it is considered a classic and uh, absolutely fundamental for the genre of sci-fi, um, it is also a movie that, if you asked about it today, uh, most sci-fi fans probably wouldn't even know what you're talking about and would think that it is some, uh, you know, some niche reference, uh, which technically it is, but at the same time, learn your history, people. It, it, this, that is a, a necessary movie. It may be back from the silent film era, but it was fantastic. Cool. And I want to point out that I fought for John Carpenter's The Thing because it was a both commercial and critical bomb when it first came out, and it only took maybe 25 years for it to actually gain its status as arguably one of the greatest sci-fi horror movies of all time. True. And even then, there's still only maybe a niche population that will even consider it up in the top 10. True. But to be fair, uh, if we're going to be very uh, even remotely legit about the uh, whole underrated part of this uh we're not going off of uh original box office and critical reception we're going off of how it is received today and if it is uh, achieved enough of a cult status uh it does not count as underrated which means unfortunately for all you brown coats out there uh serenity is not going to be on this list because all you loyal nerds out there have definitely made that thing so well known that uh, even if people have not watched it, uh, everybody knows the name Firefly and Serenity, and uh, he, that's because of you guys, but that's also now no longer the underdog. So, uh, yeah. And to, to disappoint good friend of the show, Dave Zimmerman, as I was texting him earlier, um, no, there are no films by Chris Nolan, J.J. Abrams, Joss Whedon, Brian Singer, or Sam Reed. Yeah, because I don't think there's any way we could ever justify anything they've done as being legitimately underrated these days. Um, so, yeah. Maybe The Prestige. Great <sighs> movie. I mean, wasn't that Oscar-nominated, though? Mm-mm. Golden nope. Globes? That one actually flew, so that one actually flew super under the radar. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, still, it's, it's gotten enough <clears throat> prestige of its own by now. <sighs> I 
I mean, come on. This is Texas, Brad. We can open. We can open carry. Don't forget that. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so yes. Uh, jumping on in. Uh, we are not going to be rating these movies uh, from best to worst, worst to best, whatever. We are simply saying these are the general top five for us, and so. <laughs> Good, do not I was assume that which order, order we was. do this in is going to be uh, in any way, form, or fashion a uh, uh, our value on that movie because we love all of them and uh, you know we just want to get them out there. So, with that, question mark. I mean, yeah, it feels right. So, um, yeah, no. With that, uh, let's go ahead and jump into uh, one of your favorites, Mike. What do you got? Uh, which one do we want to talk about first? Which one do you love more? Oh, are you? Oh, oh. Uh, I am going to say. Mm, mm. Uh, uh, so I am going to I say. I feel like our audio uh, listeners are going to have some real mixed feelings about that sound. <laughs> or maybe they're going to have some really good feelings about that. Um, <laughs> so my choice, first and mm -hmm. foremost, uh, is actually probably one of my favorite Danny Boyle movies. Um, it is Sunshine. There we go. So Sunshine flew horribly under the radar. Uh, if I'm not mistaken... And you will have to correct me on this, or I can correct myself. I think it's what he followed Slumdog Millionaire with. Keep talking, I will double check for you. You, you can no, keep I'm sorry. 2000, 2000, so 2007. So it was actually pre-Slumdog Millionaire. So it's the movie that he did before Slumdog Millionaire. So Got Sunshine, it. essentially, um, unjustifiably so, it gets a lot of comparisons to the movie The Core. If anybody remembers that movie from the... Mm. God, that would have been early 2000s, like 2002, 2003. Yeah. Uh, with Aaron Eckhart and Hilary Swank, where they gotta go restart the Earth's core. Um, okay, I can by people that have never seen the movie. I can kind of see that comparison, but yeah, if you've actually seen the movie, while the premise seems similar, the execution is nowhere near. Yeah, so... Sunshine is essentially the story of a team of astronauts that are going to try to restart the sun. Mm -hmm. um, they're the second group. Um, and the first group, I can't remember how long ago. Oh, God, it's been forever since I've seen it. But basically the first crew went and they lost contact with them. Mm -hmm. So this new crew is being sent to try to restart the sun. Um, basically, there's been a couple years of essentially what has turned into a second ice age because they're basically that they determined that the sun is dying, and they're basically going to try to restart it. Um, it sounds like a super hokey, like B-level cheesy. We're just gonna have these guys killed off one at a time by doing a bunch of stupid crap movie. Which, but to be there is fair, a... the ending does kind of devolve into that formula a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I'll, I'll I'll give you a little bit, but there is a super super deep philosophical question. There, there's several that are raised during the point of the movie. Like, at what point is humanity playing God by essentially trying to 
stave off our own extinction. And like, at what point are we supposed to let science take over and, and natural selection take over? And it gets, like, dude, this is one of those movies that kept me up for hours after I watched it. And I watched it at like 2 a.m. because I'm an idiot. Um, sure. But there's a lot of people that were in this movie, like that went on, like Cillian Murphy was in this movie, Chris Evans is in this movie, Rose Burns in this movie. Um, I think, who's the other big name that was in this one? You can take over at any point, Brad. Oh, no. Um, I was actually just double checking something else. Uh, Mark Strong. There you go. Benedict Wong. Yeah, so like this is all a cast of people that went on to do quite a bit but it's i mean this is this like i said this was one of those this was one of those kind of like it could have been a super hokey cheesy sci-fi b-level movie and it ended up like it's a very deep thought-provoking film of like at what point is our own mortality like at what point are we basically going against nature by trying to extend our own mortality sure no, I mean, it, it's very deep. So I, I will say that it was, I actually thought it was very interesting uh, from the perspective of uh, the concepts they brought in uh, to kind of try to combat the long-term space flight issues and, and trying to come up mm -hmm. with uh, solutions in universe uh, for how that would work, considering the amount of time it would actually take uh, to jump on a spacecraft of any type from Earth right. to the Sun. Um, which, I mean, considering the fact that we are the third planet from the Sun, uh, it's right. really easy to consider, the, uh, to think that, yeah, that, that wouldn't be that big of a deal, that wouldn't be that long of a trip, and yet, in reality, that would actually be very long and uh, way more... Uh, involved than you think so the yeah. things that they brought in for like um, showing uh, like virtual environments to try to rebalance people mentally and emotionally uh, because of long periods of isolation uh, and uh, just the the different facilities that the ship would need in order to uh, have a crew just survive for that long was really interesting yeah um you know one of the cool things that they do is they actually have a greenhouse set up on the ship so that that way they can not only like you said um they can replenish oxygen mm -hmm. naturally um they can also grow their own food because it is an extended trip um but also kind of the the being one with nature kind of the calming effect of that as well um, sure. But that plays a big part into the plot. Um, but like you said, you know, there's, it's, it very much like it also tackles the human condition in terms of like, when you're put in this position, like you actually see people break down and what we would assume would be a very real way. Like people freaking out that like, they're not coming home. Yeah. Like they, we like very early on in the movie they get to a point where it's like cool so this is a one-way trip yeah now i will say uh if there was ever going to be a, an even remotely uh 
decent comparison for this movie. It would actually either be um, uh, Pandorum or uh, actually one of the other movies that is going to come up on our list uh, because they in plot and execution are much closer uh, to uh, what you get with Sunshine than uh, the core or any other uh, of those like early 2000s um, sci-fi off uh, offerings so are you possibly talking about maybe Paul W.S. Anderson's only good movie Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe. Um, and what, what movie might that be? Uh, this is actually pre-2000s, so what, what, uh, what movie are we talking about, Mike? Yeah, geez, like, I looked at that and I didn't even realize that this movie was that old. I was like, son of a bitch. Although, to be uh, so fair, yeah, uh, the, the special effects do actually hold up pretty well, considering this was... They actually do. Yeah, like the, the special effects actually hold up very well. Um, so I guess this is the next film we want to go into. Yep, let's go for it. Uh, Event Horizon. Nice. Another cold classic. Um, I'll let you take the lead on this one since I spoke. So, yes, uh, Event Horizon is a movie that I would say... It is... It's a movie that's very difficult to explain uh, in a way that, if you haven't seen the movie, doesn't just sound truly psychotic. Uh, so you have a a crew on a ship that is, through a series of events, without trying to go into too many uh, spoilers on this one, uh, end up finding themselves face-to-face uh, -face with a tear in reality uh, that uh, essentially opens up into either literal hell or a hell dimension uh, that ends up just completely uh, psychologically tearing apart everybody on the ship. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you are getting some amazing performances out of Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, uh, uh, Jolie Richardson, uh, Richard T. Jones, uh, Jason Isaacs, and Sean Pertwee, and of course, um, uh, Kathleen uh, Quinlan. Uh, you have some just really, really great stuff that you get from this movie that, yes, does kind of start to lose its edge a bit uh, towards the end. Uh, the director's cut does actually give a little bit more of that back so that you have a bit more context. If you only ever saw the theatrical cut, uh, seriously, if you've never seen it before, go for director's cut instead. It will be a much more complete experience. Um, even though by the end you do get to see some just very out there performances. Uh, for better or worse, uh, it, it all works out to just be a very different kind of experience. Um, and I will say, personally, I think this may be one of my favorite performances from Sam Neill. Um, even though I know a lot of people will argue with me on that one, I, I genuinely enjoy what he gives with this. It, it is fantastic uh, for many, many reasons. 
Yeah, I think I think that the I the, I guess the best way that I can say this is that this is the slow descent into madness. Yes. Um, like this movie is it's it's pretty effed up, man. Like there's some stuff that they they tackle some really tough stuff. They subject the characters to a lot of awful things because, like you said, it is essentially like them coming to grips with their closest and darkest fears. Um, yeah. But I mean, and like the movie doesn't pull any punches. It it very much and and it does kind of fall into that trope of like oh ship goes missing we found it yeah let's like go there, investigate it there like, is what, definitely what, what, a part no? there's definitely a part at the beginning uh like beginning till just before halfway that really does start to feel like um uh it's trying to be alien uh but yeah. with its own flavor um the thing is, though, it's not. It really isn't. And if that's what your assumption is uh, going into it, then you will get a very different experience by the end. And honestly, yeah. the thing that makes me really sad is, is this movie had so much potential. Uh, the book is like genuinely psychotic in the best possible ways. And if you watch the deleted scenes, even the stuff that was not allowed into the director's cut of this film, um, the directions and just how far down the rabbit hole uh, they tried to take this movie and just how truly dark they wanted it to go, um, the studio, even in the director's cut, wouldn't let them fully do because part of it would have had to be completely reshooting certain bits of it. Part of it would have required additional CGI budgets that at the time would have been considered a bit excessive. And part of it was yeah. just that if you wanted this to be accepted by the general movie going audience back in 97, uh, the movie that they were trying to make would never have been accepted. But if you, at least not to the extent they were trying to capture. If it were to be made today, however, in its complete, uncut, unadulterated uh, version, um, I think audiences would love it because there have been so many other movies that tried something like this but were much less eloquent with it that I think you could have gotten a fantastic movie if this came out today. Like, this would definitely be one that if we used it for our Would It Hold Up Today, uh, or Would It Still Hold Up Today series, uh, I would say categorically yes, and if it was uh, allowed to have additions to it based on a modern update, it would be just revered as a, a piece of sci-fi art. Yeah, yeah, this could be definitely one of those films that you you watch and like you said you know with some of the things that some of the directors nowadays have done and put out like Eli Roths yeah. like the Tarantinos in terms of just the really out there psychological stuff that they've put out there um, and just subject matter as well like you could, you could definitely view this film and think man this film was probably like a decade too early oh easily easily yeah yeah um, but just to make sure we don't go too long on this, uh, let's go ahead and jump on to our uh, movie number three, which of course uh, we have to throw in um, one of my favorites uh, and one that, Mike, you have not actually seen, 
but uh, I will continue to say is one of the best things that came out of the uh, 80s, uh, and that was The Last Starfighter. So, The Last Starfighter is... Oh, uh, how do I explain this? Uh, if if Star Wars and Tron had a baby, uh, The Last Starfighter is what you'd get. Uh, <laughs> like it is. Well, let me just let me just jump let me just jump right into my car and go rent a copy from the local Blockbuster. <laughs> like, so can I say Blockbuster? Yeah, I mean, there's two for that. No, there's only one left, and uh, Blockbuster Corporate doesn't exist, so there is no Blockbuster legal team to sue anybody over any of it. So at this point, I feel like the one last standing Blockbuster would only find this as uh, free publicity. So yeah. So then let me ask: Could we uh, could we steal that name and use it for something else? Does Not somebody quite own yet. the copyright for that name anymore? Probably, uh, and I, I don't want to find out yet. Well, let, let's <laughs> give it a few more years. Uh, okay, fair, fair, fair. But, uh, yeah, so, no, the, I, I would say, um, so the, the whole premise behind The Last Starfighter is um, you had this uh, arcade game that this kid um, that, you know, just kind of out in the uh, just kind of nowhere America um, named Alex. Uh, he is just really into this arcade game uh, called The Last Starfighter. Uh, he's obsessed with trying to get the uh, top score. He loves it. Uh, it. It is a very 80s arcade game. Very uh, uh, like Gattaca uh, kind of thing, uh, you know, like Gattaca sort of original Star Wars arcade hell. thing. I just read the synopsis. This is a super 80s plot, yeah. too. Yeah, so he's <laughs> determined to be able to get the uh, top score on this because he just he loves the game. He finally gets it and then uh, has this uh, alien starship come down and this uh, alien lizard person uh, gets out of it and uh, kidnaps him because turns out the arcade game was actually sent out all across the universe uh, to try to recruit the best starfighter pilot in order to uh, try to help their little uh, rebellion to uh, beat back their version of the Empire. So it is without question a Star Wars ripoff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because the 80s. Yeah, like <laughs> it... If I could actually modify my original uh, description, uh, take the baby of Star Wars and Tron, sprinkle in a little bit of the wizard, and ta-da. <laughs> like, it is amazing. Uh, I, I, I can't okay. even begin to explain uh, how wonderful this movie is. Just go into it expecting the cheesiest kind of Star Wars ripoff. Uh, kind of like the same level of ripoff as like Mac and Me was of E.T. Uh, but like slightly less annoying sounds like you're not going to be getting the same kind of like high shrilly shrieks uh as you got from mac and me um but you will get the same brad, kind of humor brad, brad i need to stop you right now are you sure this wasn't supposed to be on your list of top five awesomely bad movies of all time 
oh no, this thing is amazing. Because that's what this sounds like. <laughs> Trust me, you and I, you and I are watching this, and it is going to be amazing. And I, I can guarantee you're going to love it when we're done. It, it is, it is truly wonderful. <laughs> sure. Yeah, just sure. Yes, just yes. Um. But Sounds yeah. like it's less watchable than X-Men The Last Stand, but okay. Oh, no, 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 no. X-Men The Last Stand, uh... So the problem with X-Men The Last Stand is it took itself way too seriously. This movie does not have any aspirations of being a serious movie. It knows it's ridiculous. Okay. It leans into how okay. ridiculous it is. I mean, you have a part of the movie where... Uh, you have a robot assassin that shows back up to Earth to try to find uh, Alex's uh, family, find his girlfriend, uh, and tries to kill her. Uh, and in the end, uh, she ends up getting uh, kidnapped as well and brought back into space uh, for a, uh, a final fight that feels like it was ripped right out of Star Fox 64. Seriously, like graphics and all, it is amazing. Like, it is the most ridiculous thing you will ever watch, but it is wonderful, and it does not take itself seriously. Like, it is glorious. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, like, if this thing... If this thing didn't take itself uh, any... Like, if this thing leaned into its own humor anymore, it would be Spaceballs. It already sounds like Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, just a lot less Jewish humor. Uh, like, that, I think that may be the biggest difference between, like, if you put in uh, the Mel Brooks Jewish humor uh, into The Last Starfighter, you would have Spaceballs. Uh, you would have Spaceballs, like, period. Uh, it, it's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I will continue to praise this movie until the day I die, because uh, it needs to be seen more. And that that's that's what I got to say. <laughs> I feel like Forrest, and that's all I got to say about that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, moving on. Jumping into the next one. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna stay on the uh, the ridiculous space sci-fi train, but go more animated uh, than '80s CGI, uh, and we're gonna throw in Titan AE. And who was the main character voiced by in this film, Brad? Ooh, that that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I I, I believe uh, it was. Uh, and you have to do the voice. So, I believe, uh, I, I believe that this was a, a, a little, a little known uh, indie actor that, um, I, I don't know if he's still working today, but uh, I, I feel like he should really be recognized more than he is. Um, uh, Do the voice. Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. <laughs> Seriously though, uh, Titan A. Uh, I, I'd say back. So this was around. If I'm, so if I'm not mistaken, this was around the time that 
Well, yeah, so this was around the time that Fox was basically trying to do their own animation in conjunction, or I guess in competition with Disney, if I remember right, right? Like, wasn't this when they put out a string of, like, animated films that didn't super take off, but, like, kind of all gained cult following, if I remember right? Yeah, so... They were trying at the time to, like, really try to compete with, um, like, Disney animation, but they were trying to lean into the CGI side of the traditional animation. So they, they were trying to combine the two and give a, a bit more of a modern update to the animation style of everything. But in the end, you end up getting a lot more comparisons uh, to the movie that came out literally the year later. Uh, Starring uh, the, uh, the the ever uh, wonderful, uh, ever necessary uh, Ming Na Wen, and of course the constantly controversial Alec Baldwin. Uh, Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. Oh God, that piece of crap! <laughs> and. The thing is, though, both Titan A.E. and Final Fantasy The Spirits Within kind of embodied a very similar space within, uh, at, the, the, at the time's version of modern animation, which was uh, they both tried to take a hold of CGI and show where it was going and what it could be with a, a movie that they thought would be seen as um, forward uh, like, like, just way looking forward into the, the future compared to what the competition was supposedly going to be having, and they, they thought it would be seen as genius, when in the end, both of them kind of got hit with the same problems. They... The animation, the CGI wasn't necessarily up to what everybody was expecting, uh, and the parts that were fantastic uh, were kind of let down by stories that weren't necessarily what everybody was expecting. Um, now, that's not to say that either of their stories were bad, per se. Uh, Titan A especially, I loved the story. I thought it was amazing. I, I thought the voice acting was phenomenal. Um, but everybody that went into it, that saw the trailers, that saw all the marketing for it, went in with this idea that, oh, this is going to be the animated Star Wars. It's going to be the, this big animated space epic. And what they got was not that. And in reality, if you went into the movie not knowing what you were getting, you probably were going to enjoy it much better because it is actually a good movie. The animation holds up. Uh, it, it is a very unique concept, a unique blend of animation styles that even today uh, still has a very specific place that it belongs in animation history. And I, I think it's fantastic. But at the same time, the studio didn't know how to market it, so it was let down by the studio, honestly. that That is why it's still looked back on as not great, because it's still... It, I feel like it's still kind of uh, bogged down by the misplaced marketing at the time that nobody wants so, to let go of. So, th it's, it's funny you brought up the, the animation style, because it is, it, it was, for the time, it was very different. It was a combination of actual hand-drawn animation mixed with CGI backgrounds and everything like that. Um, yeah. the, the other film that this studio did was Anastasia, yeah. and it's 
super apparent in that the animation style that they were going for. Well, like, remember it sticks out even who was more the director? So it was who was the director for, for Titan A. For which one? Titan A. What, what do we got? It was. Come on, come on. If you, if you don't have this, I'm, I'm going to be terribly disappointed. The ever wonderful, ever uh, epic in the realm of uh, animation. Same director as Anastasia. Oh, Don Bluth and Gary uh, Gary Goldman. Okay. There you go. Oh. Yeah. So look, it look like you said it was stylistically it was incredibly different from anything that had come out up to that point. Yeah. Like you said, now Pixar had gone the full CGI route. Disney was still in the midst of the hand-drawn animation route and this literally tried to take basically both of those and have a baby and boom there you go yeah um with don bluth's like, uh, particular aesthetics yes Let's now never the story was the story was great yeah yeah the story was great the story was very good it was very different it was out there it was kind of humanities on its last legs with uh, basically this is the hail mary for keeping the human race going kind of thing um it just it <sighs> I almost want to say it couldn't decide if it wanted to be a kids movie or an adult movie. Like it couldn't decide what it wanted to be at points. There were times where you thought that they were going to go into a much heavier kind of darker tone and then there were points where it got super lighthearted and you're like, "Okay, they're doing that one for the kids." Well, I mean, isn't um, that kind of the, uh, the hallmark of a Don Bluth movie though? Like you never really know if the movie is meant for kids or the adults. But in the end, you do have a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, but in the end, it, it just feels weird if you said it's exclusively one or the other. Yeah, look, I get yeah, I get that. But I think this was one of those that maybe you probably should have actually made the commitment and gone either or. Yeah. Just with the subject matter, literally, humanity. There, there's only a handful of humans still left in the world. They're all scattered across the galaxy. Like, why not go for a more dystopian kind of bleaker look than kind of doing the slapstick kind of comedy bit that they did sprinkled throughout? Yeah. Now, I will um, I will toss in, there is one criticism of the movie that does still hold up, which is the one place where Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, actually excelled, like, intentionally. Uh, and that would be the lead female character and who voiced it. Um, you had a lead female who was animated as uh, an Asian woman and was voiced by Drew Barrymore. And uh, looking back on it, not necessarily good looking out there when uh, you had Final Fantasy, lead was, uh, female was Asian and the lead voice actor was Ming-Na Wen. And it was accurate representation of the character and there was a little bit more connection to the character in a way kind of because of that um like looking back that is the one point where i will say watching the movie it's a little hard to listen to drew barrymore's voice on there and not just think oh drew barrymore rather than it's akima the the character yeah <laughs> I got yeah. That's that's fair. That's fair. I don't I don't think they thought too much into that. I no, think they thought, no. Hey, let's get a big female name to 
yeah. which I mean that was kind of necessary though because this was such a massive risk and because Anastasia was hit with so well, much uh, mixed reception initially anyway this really was uh, the last gasp of Fox animation uh, before uh, it kind of had to close its doors and Don Bluth was being given his last big chance to prove himself with Fox, even right. though, to be fair, the entire uh, process, Fox kept kind of hamstringing him uh, to not let him do exactly what he wanted. They, he got almost what he wanted, but then they'd always kind of pull him back a little bit, which is part uh, of where that disconnect kind of came from, but it's still fantastic, which is why it, it you're deserves telling to be me, on this list. You're telling me that a studio interfered with a film Come on, Brad. Uh, I would never. Uh, I'm telling you, like Fox that. interfered with the film, which seems even more uh, insane. Oh, that's, to that, that never happens. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's 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 definitely not the track record with those asshole. I mean, what? <clears throat> anyway, uh, moving on from Fox. Uh, yeah, we, moving moving right along <laughs> because we we do have to hurry up and get to our last uh, movie in our top five. Um, Indeed because we are now at 41 minutes, which means we are officially uh, 11 minutes over. So let's go ahead and get to this. Uh, we have, hey, what hey, was that last hey, one? If they, hey, if they don't like us going over, to hell with them. Hey, it's hey. It's our show, not theirs. Hey, some of us have lives. Uh, that, okay. And family. Um. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not like you have a kid or anything. No, um, never. Okay. Uh, so, um, yes, our this fun, one's going to be a little fun. bit controversial. Yeah. Um, Blade Runner 2049. And my, now, I know why a lot of would it be, be controversial? Like, uh, because it bombed hard at the box office. Um, mm -hmm. Hard. Oh, wait, hang on, hang on. Here's the mic. Hard. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so to give you guys an idea, this is a film that, I mean, a lot of people wanted a sequel to for a long time. There were a lot of people after the masterpiece that was Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. It, I, there was rumblings for years of going back to the universe and doing something, whether it not be a direct sequel, if maybe we, we have another film set in the universe where it doesn't cover Deckard, it covers maybe other characters, or if we just get entirely new characters. Um, but I mean, this was this was a true direct sequel. It had actually, it jumped ahead 20, yeah. 25 years, if I'm not mistaken, just like the time jump from the original film to now. Yep. And holy hell did it underperform at the box office, yeah. which is a shame because it is an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, you already, even though this movie definitely leaned into certain cyberpunk aesthetics that already existed before the movie, since this movie came out back in 2017, uh, you can already see the influ uh, the influences, at least with the, uh, the, the aesthetic contributions, um, pretty clearly with other sci-fi uh content that has come out since like it, it is already uh the the influence of it has already uh been well felt because um it took the 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 uh, like neon uh hyper 
I, 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 I don't even know what the, the proper description beyond just like cyberpunk is uh, for that aesthetic, but like it, it took that very like neon aesthetic uh, that already existed and just kind of cranked it up uh, like five more notches. And since uh, the first trailer for this came out, you've been seeing more and more of the cyberpunk genre starting to lean into that extra neon saturation, that extra uh, you know feel that you got from this movie. Uh, going back to a bit more of the dystopian side of things than just the, the, the hyper-futuristic stuff, but still allowing for that, um, that, that kind of crossover uh, that, that gives you that kind of fatalistic uh, feeling when, when, when you look at it. Yeah, and look, this was... Uh, mm, there was a lot that went into this film. Ridley Scott was originally supposed to come back and direct, then he stepped down. Uh, then he was going to completely leave the project, then he stayed on as an executive producer. Um, they brought in the fantastic uh, Dennis Villanueva, who came in and did it, um, who was just coming off of Arrival, if I'm not mistaken, which Arrival could actually be on this same list of top five underrated sci-fi movies, because it's fantastic. True, but um, you know, award winners don't count. Oh, it didn't win. It was nominated. Did it? Seriously? Yeah. Amy Adams uh, didn't win on that one. I don't think she did. Um, I'll look it up. You keep talking. Yeah. So uh, this was, like I said, this was this was such a perfect storm of stuff happening that I don't necessarily remember the marketing campaign for this being super big. No. Um. Like it was, it was kind of one of those. I, I think this was kind of one of those where they were just gonna kind of throw it out there and see what it did. But I mean, it did 260 million dollars on a box on a on a budget. I think of 150 to 170. So like it barely made its money back. You're talking about a sequel to what is considered to be one of the greatest sci-fi films ever made. Um, and people would argue that the director's cut is even better than the theatrical cut. Um, mm. It didn't help that this movie was almost two hours and or it, I think it was almost three hours long, if I'm not mistaken. It was like 178 minutes. Or yeah. By the way, you are minutes. correct. Uh, it did not win uh, the uh, the big Oscars or go uh, Golden Globes, but it did win um, uh, sound editing for go uh, the right. Oscars. So, I mean, there's Yeah, and I know he was nominated and for it, and I know it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, um, no, you, you, you're right. And, uh, you know, Blade Runner uh, came in at two hours and 44 minutes. Yeah, and it's, look, I loved it. I thought it was an absolute masterpiece. It is a long two hours and 44 minutes. There is a lot happening. There is a lot that it, it, uh, how do I best? For fans of really in-depth sci-fi that really make you question kind of the world and the society that you're in. You mean or fans of the original? In, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, hell, what was it for the longest time people would debate on whether Deckard was actually a replicant or not? Yeah, and depending on which version of the original you watched, you got a slightly different answer. Uh, which, I mean, right. how many versions of the original were there? Like six, seven? God, that sounds right. 
I don't know if it was actually that much, but that sure feels right. I know there was the theatrical run, I know there was the director's cut. I think there was an ultimate director's cut, or the ultimate cut, I think is what they called it. Um, but yeah, look, you're talking about you're talking about a sequel to a film that is often considered like one of the best of the entire genre. And like, I gotta seven. say, dude, this seven different geez, cuts. Okay. Yeah, look, I gotta say, man, they picked they picked the right director to do it. Like the script was great. It, yeah. I, for what they were look, this film should have been a major box office success. It should have. Like this film should have been much bigger than it was. Now, granted, the original Blade Runner didn't exactly uh, sweep the box office either, but it developed over time. And that's, what I, gonna, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Like, that's what I was going to ask. If I remember correctly, Blade Runner, didn't it, like, originally when it ran way underperform at the box office? Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it did not... Uh... So, yeah, I... When it came out, it was... Uh, here we go. Uh, the original Blade Runner uh, cost $28 million to make and only took in six for its opening weekend back in 82. Uh, so, Ooh, yeah. But, uh, at the time, that was considered uh, just atrociously terrible. I mean, it, it, today, yeah. that would still be considered atrociously awful. But, like, it, yeah, it, it was not... Yeah. It was not well received, but in the over 30 years since the original, um, right. it has continued to grab on to audiences uh, more and more, and more audiences have uh, gotten a hold of the original book uh, from Philip K. Dick. Uh, you know, do uh, uh, what was it? Do robot stream of electric sheep, and uh, you have. Just so much more that's continued to latch onto it. So many more movies that have continued to uh, be inspired by or reference uh, the original that it just grew into something massive that suddenly you had, yeah, uh, audiences demanding that we needed a sequel for, even though uh, in, in terms of the literary inspiration, there is not supposed to be a sequel. Like, that, that was never the intent. It was supposed to be a cut-and-dry... Uh, story that left it intentionally open-ended for you to kind of look at and go, well, hell, what did it mean? <laughs> yeah, look, and 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 Dennis Villanueva has a lot of moral quandaries and moral conundrums up in his movies to kind of make you really think like it's the same guy that did Sicario and Prisoners which both are very they're they're not exactly easy on the soul that's one way to put it <laughs> but like the, dude even so much so in Blade Runner 2049 that like they even very much tackle like just because you are just like very much does it come up like just because you're a human does not mean that you actually have a soul and that is something that they tackle a lot. Just like Kay, spoiler alert, who is Brian Gosling, the main character, is a replicant. Yeah, well, and they kind of address that fairly early on in the movie, though. Like, you don't know it going yeah. into it because the marketing never touched on it. But the movie, they, they touched that pretty quickly. Yeah, so that like, you can get like the, the first idea 10 minutes of, of the what movie. the theme yeah. is. Which is, you know, diving right, into yeah. what is the definition of a, you know, a person, a soul, or... You know, uh, exactly. Yeah, the, the deeper meanings. They they wanted to hit that from the start. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's just it. Like this is a very deep film too, and maybe it was just too deep for some people to grasp, or maybe it was just too deep for some people to, I guess, latch onto. 
But I mean, like, yeah. it, uh, I feel like it's the kind of movie film, that you're right. I, I think it's the kind of movie that you need time to process it, and maybe yes. in ten years, uh, like m- maybe uh, by the time you know. 2027 comes around uh, after a good 10 years has uh, passed uh, a much larger audience will have found it and learned to appreciate it and uh, analyzed it enough that it will be more easily receptive by a general audience because a lot of the mental heavy lifting has already been done to kind of clear the way for a wider audience to take in yeah now you know that, you know, A, if humanity's still around by then, because the machine should be up, I think, pretty well, quick. Even based if, off uh, the Cameron timeline. Well, I mean, even if machines take over, you know YouTube will still be around. So there's still going to be fair. some robotic yeah. YouTuber out there analyzing the hell out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be running this bitch, that's for sure. Yeah, um, the, the, the fear wanna, of I, uh, bots animating YouTube content will finally jump over right. to this side of uh, the, the divide and then we really will be made obsolete. <laughs> yeah, look, I just hope that his next movie doesn't bomb so hard, but he's doing Dune now. Like, that's going to be very interesting. Honestly, that is one that I am super excited for, because I loved Dune, uh, like the book series. I I mm-hmm. cannot get enough of them. I, I, I went through the original trilogy just so, so quickly. I, I loved it. I, I've gone back through it. Uh, honestly, as much as the the Fincher film was just all kinds of, uh, I'll still yeah. go back and rewatch it. I'll still go back and rewatch the miniseries. Um, I'll, I'll even rewatch the sci-fi miniseries for Children of Dune. Uh, as just, uh, and I know that is not good at all. But it's got James McAvoy, and it's. It has enough pieces in there that I'm like, it's doomed. I, I what, what can I say? So, on that note, yeah. <laughs> hey, McAvoy. Just saying, McAvoy. Sure. Hey, hey, hey. hey. All right, McAvoy. wrap it up. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh. But no, I, I, I'd say, yeah, that, that's a pretty solid uh, top five for us. Um, but guys, uh, as we said in our description, uh, question of the day, if we did not touch on your uh, favorite underrated sci-fi film, please tell us down in the comments below, what did we miss? Uh, we would love to be able to get your uh, your thoughts, your opinions, and if you have any op- uh, movies that we haven't seen, we'd love to hear about them too, so we can go uh, put them on our watch list right now. Um, which I do realize, uh, looking at this, considering we've now hit the 55-minute mark, we really should have tossed in the question of the day earlier, but uh, lessons learned. Well, so. this, this, this episode is like uh, tw- Blade Runner 2049. Way longer than it needed to be, but uh, damn it, we did it. I'm not going to say way longer than it needed to be, but way longer than probably most of people's attention spans allow them to sit and watch. Fair. Fair. Mm-hmm. We, we uh, just as long as it should have been. You're welcome, America. <laughs> uh, but with that, uh, guys, seriously, thank you all for joining us. If you've made it this far... Uh, Wow, you are committed, and we love you for that. Um, 
gold if, star to you. Yeah, if you are a uh, return viewer, uh, even better, because that is commitment there, and uh, whew, I, I don't know if, if, if we can really express how much we love you for that, but uh, please come back. We, we could but, use it. But I can... But I can ask, why do you hate yourself? Eh. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, if you are a new viewer, uh, dang it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, don't forget to, once again, like and follow us over on Facebook. Oh, subscribe and like us over on YouTube. And, of course... As always, if you like our stuff but have don't necessarily have the time for our videos, you can get the audio of us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. And of course, do not forget to please share us with your friends. We would love to get their thoughts on all this too. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining us, and don't forget to come back next time. But until then, I'm Brad, that's Mike, we've been Dallas Geek, and see ya. <laughs>